Stand a man did what he can, but could he create the DCU? Well, let's find out in our second deep dive look at Just Imagine Stan Lee creating the DC Universe. The byword starts now. Ladies and gentle nerds, welcome back to the Nerd by Word podcast, the only podcast that smells like lavender. I'm Dave, here with my buddy Chris, and we are ready to look at the second set of comic books published under the Just Imagine moniker, where Stan Lee put his own spin on some of the greatest DC heroes ever. But before we dive into Green Lantern, Flash, and Justice League, let's go ahead and take a moment to savor the... Nerd News! That's right, Nerd News, and Chris has a doozy. What you got, Chris? Man, it feels like it would be an inauthentic... Uh, episode if we didn't talk about the X-Men coming back. Um, so Disney Plus Day took place about a week or two ago, um, and, and we were tied up in other things. But the biggest and, and the most nerd-worthy reveal of uh, Disney Plus Day was undoubtedly the return of X-Men the Animated Series, which will now be dubbed X-Men 97. Uh, and for me, the best part of it is it was revealed in the most perfect way possible with the Wolverine holding the portrait meme. And then in the inside of the portrait is the X-Men 97 all new original series streaming 2023. So we do have to wait a bit, but I, I absolutely cannot wait for this. Um, we've even got some of the original voice cast returning. Uh, Cal Zod, Lenore Zahn, who was just about every guy's first crush as a rogue uh george busa allison seeley smith chris potter catherine disher uh include and uh also featuring some new cast members including one of the true goats of voice acting jennifer hale so i'm super excited about this Bo DeMeo um is the head writer and executive producer and you know it's good because um the original series director larry houston and the showrunners eric and julia lewald are going to be consulting on the series as well. So I'm super excited for this. Um, we've seen a lot of, of art teased out um, from the people who are going to be like the head character designers. I could not be more excited, man. Could you not be more excited? Because I feel like there, there would be something to, to get you more excited about an X-Men cartoon. But, but let's put a pin in that and first of all ask, will a rogue's... Uh, booty return in, in this cartoon <laughs> is, is I think the real question because there were some very um, uh, there were some animators very much into Rogue's booty I, I can I can assure you that w without joking I, I find this on the one hand incredibly exciting um, and on the other hand incredibly troubling so let's go with the exciting thing first um, you know X-Men 97 as we're now calling it I guess wasn't as formative to to my youth as some other animated series um you know Batman the animated series in particular um 
had a much bigger impact on me than X-Men, the animated series. But I did, in fact, watch it and enjoy it. Um, and so I'm, of course, glad to see that world uh, return in some way, shape, or form. Um, on the other hand, I think this goes back to something that you have been saying for a while, strewn across various byword episodes. And that is that we are living in a nostalgia-fueled pop culture moment. And at what point uh, is you know is it too much nostalgia? At what point are we stagnating? At what point do we stop moving forward with those creative juices? And so to get back to my initial question, is there something that could get Chris more excited in an X-Men animated series? I would I would postulate there might be one thing that would get you more excited, and that would be a Krakoa era X-Men animated series. Oh, dare to dream. Yeah. And so and so, and so here we stand. What 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 is the problem with you know being bold and moving forward and using this new era of X-Men, which admittedly I struggle to get into, but is very popular. Uh what is the problem with taking something like that and making an animated series out of it as opposed to to going back to the well of a series that ended in 1997 and once again bringing that nostalgia fuel in. And and I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. The one thing that I neglected to mention in the, in the original blurb, but that I was excited to see, is that I believe it was an interview with the Leewalds themselves that said they are definitely going to be attacking more uh, adult themes in this iteration. So I, I feel like with with something like that if if looking back on it and and being completely candid um i think the original animated series did a great job at laying the foundation of the mutant metaphor and people being discriminated against simply because of the way that they were born but i felt like it was still um very much in like an embryonic stage but i feel like i'm i'm, I'm hopeful that this will will move forward now as far as a krakoa adaptation um that that would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, there's even, you know, a hope that that will be where we pick up in, in the live action MCU when the X-Men are included. Um, I just don't know. The, it, it, it kind of feels like walking before or uh, running before we can walk. And, and I don't know that um, if that's developed enough, although, you know, hardcore fans like myself would absolutely love that. And, you know, I would certainly hope that the, this returning X-Men 97 will tackle some more, you know, adult themes. Because if we're going to be completely honest here, the target audience, even though it's animation, is very much to people who were alive in the 90s and watched this, uh, the, the old version to begin with. So if they do not tackle more adult themes, they're completely missing their target demographic. Because I think it's fair to say that for the most part, with a few exceptions... This is not really targeted at kids anymore because this kind of nostalgia fuel invariably leaves, you know, the, the more modern generations cold. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the biggest things on social media uh, as of late, of even the past couple of days, as of the time of this recording, is the the head showrunners social media posts um, have been attacked and, and dug through by right wing wackos as oh this is the type of person that you want writing x-men and exactly that so that gives me hope for the direction of you know someone who sees the injustice in the world and is is carrying that uh into you know being the head showrunner and, and and head writer on this show so that gives me hope as well and i do want to say i don't i don't at all want to come across 
um, in some way as I'm not excited about this show. I really am. I am concerned about the 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 level of nostalgia we're reaching. I mean, when we're getting a sequel to Hocus Pocus on Disney Plus of all the <laughs> movies that could possibly get a sequel, th- th- that's where we're at at this point. Yeah, I- I'm a little concerned of where you know pop culture is headed if it's just basically a snake eating its own tail yeah that being said i have my own white whales of animated series i wish to, would come back nostalgia fuel be darned you know if, if if they would announce that gargoyles is returning for a new season i would probably uh, I, I don't even know i would probably be running through the streets shirtless screaming at the top <laughs> of my lungs and in, 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 in ecstasy i mean it's just so i i totally understand where x-men fans are coming from with with being very excited about this and I do not begrudge it to the X-Men fandom. Um, but at just, you know, zooming out and sort of as a big picture guy looking at it and thinking, you know, can we maybe stop neglecting um, original content? And just to, just to go off on a tangent, I was listening. Oh, ah, I wish I could be certain what I was reading or listening to. I, I take in way too much pop culture. Um, but I seem to recall that the um, director of Free Guy a movie that I have previously nerd commended uh, was giving an interview in which he was asked about uh, the very um, negatively portrayed video game executive portrayed by uh, Taika Waititi in the movie. And he said that it was a direct inspiration uh, from a studio executive uh, that he had interacted with when he was pitching uh, this movie Free Guy. And the question that this executive kept raising was, well, what is it based on? And he kept saying, it's based on nothing. It's an original script. And he said, well, so it's not based on a comic book. It's not based on an old TV show. It's not an, uh, a reimagining of a previous movie. And this director said, no, no, it's, it's, it's original. And the executive couldn't wrap his head around the idea that there could be a script that is original and would be worth making into a movie and could make money. And I think that is an encapsulation, I think, perfectly of my concerns about this whole nostalgia-fueled pop culture moment that we're in right now yeah yeah i would totally agree with that i mean even and i'm not an anime person so i'm not really qualified to comment but you have something like cowboy bebop you know getting a live action treatment and it's, it's just like we keep running in circles yeah that's exactly right all right dave so what is up on the news desk for you uh you know it's it's the story that just won't go away the activision blizzard uh, situation, uh, inappropriate behavior by multiple employees, damage control from Activision Blizzard, hiring, you know, uh, two people to run the company, one male, one female, the female executive resigns. It's just, it's this never ending story. And so now we have a new wrinkle in that over 1200 Activision Blizzard employees have now signed a petition demanding that CEO Bobby Kotick quit. Uh, it's the ABK Workers Alliance who say they ha- no longer have confidence in his leadership. Um, in the statement, the uh, signatures are in support of reads as follows. We, the undersigned, no longer have confidence in the leadership of Bobby, Bobby Kotick as the CEO of Activision Blizzard. The information that has come to light about the behaviors and practices in the running of our companies runs counter to the culture and integrity we require of our leadership and directly conflicts with the initiative started by our peers. We ask that Bobby Kotick remove himself as CEO of Activision Blizzard and that shareholders be allowed to select a new CEO without the input of Bobby, 
who we are aware owns a substantial portion of the voting rights of the shareholders. Um, and so as of Thursday, there were over 1,200 signatures, uh, 1,211 signatures on this uh, petition. And, you know, this company is in trouble because of a very, very toxic work culture that has gone unchecked for a long time. And and the more comes to light about what's been going on behind the scenes, the more shareholders are troubled, the more fans are troubled. And, and I think we're going to start seeing a significant backlash continue un- unless Activision Blizzard finds a way to 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 satisfy the naysayers that they have, in fact, made significant changes behind the scenes of this company. I mean, there was like a story that came out of um, a podcast from the Wall Street Journal that there was an employee that worked for years at Activision who signed his emails 1-800-ALL-BEEP and BEEP being a um, colloquial term for the male anatomy. And, and was not chastised or, or fired or anything for years. And, and this kind of environment in, in the current age is just absolutely unacceptable. And they will have to make uh, much, much better efforts at convincing the general public that they've changed their ways behind the scenes than just attempting to put a, a, a co-leader in charge that is female and then that person has to run for the hills herself. It's just, you know, as somebody who, who has loved Activision games in the past, who's been a big fan of some Blizzard output, particularly I was a big fan of Overwatch, as I've mentioned previously, just this has really soured me on any output the company puts out there. And I really hope that they make some significant changes. Yeah, like this is just... <laughs> This is one of the most upsetting things in the nerd world at at this current time. I mean, it's I mean, I saw a great post on social media of like, if you enjoy these Activision Blizzard games, consider these alternatives, you know, as as opposed to, you know, supporting a company like this. It it really just feels like and and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they had a like they staged the employees staged like a, a mass walkout. From the offices as well during the yes day. yes I believe so so I mean this is this is bad and and I don't see any other you know possible outcome of of moving forward and making true progress than all of the leadership being replaced so I I don't know what that entails I'm not as plugged in you know with those circles or whatever I'm not you know I'm not a consumer of Activision Blizzard content regularly. But like this, something's got to give and we can't just keep going on like this because obviously this is not, you know, the way to do it. It, it, It's just awful. Yeah, here, here. Well, that's it for nerd news. Stick around after our first break. We'll be back with our big talk where we dive into another three issues of just imagine Stan Lee created the DC universe. Stick around. Welcome back, ladies and gentle nerds. Well, we've circled around to... topic that we really enjoyed talking about last time and that is the maxi series 
just imagine Stan Lee creating the DC universe, uh, a series of one shots, each one uh, written by Stan Lee uh, and co-created with a top artist of the industry in the early 2000s, um, reimagining a character from DC's staple. Last time we spoke about this topic, we talked about the Trinity, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. This week, we are going to dive into Green Lantern, The Flash, and JLA. So let's go ahead and kick things off with uh, Green Lantern. So in this particular story, something uh, quite different from the original Green Lantern, we have a professor obsessed with discovering the Tree of Life, discovering said tree, and then... Uh, uh, merging with him in some way and becoming a flying, green, glowing, not clothes-wearing superhero, a little bit reminiscent design-wise of something like Doctor Manhattan. Chris, your take on Green Lantern? Oh, it was, it was, it was a rough, rough read. Um, it was, it was like a straight to DVD, like homemade uh, Indiana Jones kind of vibe, like the quote-unquote attractive professor that is way too chummy with his students um and and this has been like a, a constant observation for me the way that stan writes women especially in his his elder years is truly uncomfortable um the way he not only the voice of his female characters, but also the way that female characters are spoken to uh real real cringe um so yeah, uh, and then as as much as I was excited to see you know Yggdrasil, you know being a huge fan of Norse mythology, this this was just a weird way to make all this happen. Um, there's like a green mist, and it's really inexplicable as to why he could av- avoid any damage. Um, yeah, this was a really wild one. Um, yeah, I, I mean. <clears throat> And then there's like a backup story that is blatant police propaganda where this police officer feels threatened by the Green Lantern being this vigilante taking matters into his own hands. So then this undercover cop with the signature 90s ponytail uh, is so upset and then he like tries to do his best. But he's like, well, maybe I should just hang it up because I can't hang with Green Lantern. But then he goes to the his local precinct and hundreds of people are signing up to be police officers because they saw him. It is truly, truly a strange read. <laughs> you know what? I have to say, um, th- there's a lot to dig into here as, as a, uh, a longtime DC fan. First of all, the idea of a Green Lantern that gets his powers not from um you know a central power battery or like little blue space aliens called the guardians or or anything like that you know that that is actually uh you know kind of revisited uh many years later in a a series called earth 2 sort of a parallel earth story from a few years ago from dc and in it we have uh a reimagined version of the Alan Scott Green Lantern, who actually receives his powers from the green uh, nature, basically the same power that gives Swamp Thing thing its power. So, you know, this idea actually, um, much like a Wonder Woman that has, you know, closer ties to 
uh, Latin America uh, actually pops back up. So it's fascinating that some of these these initial ideas of Stanley series actually uh, pop back up in some way, shape, or form. So I find that fascinating. But yeah, can can we talk for a second about Kathy Warren because that character was Oof. about forty shades of weird. So first, she she appears to be a student. Um, of Professor Leonard Lewis, who becomes our Green Lantern. And here's our, of course, famous Stanley alliteration yet again. But then she turns out to actually be an operative of this uh, kind of shadowy figure, uh, Dominic Dark, that keeps like popping up in the background of almost all of these Just Imagine stories so far. And then she decides she's going to travel with Professor Lewis, um, to kind of shadow him, but her reasoning is, uh, and I'm paraphrasing only very slightly, your lecture really turned me on, so I bought a ticket to come with you. And his reaction to that is, well, you're you're pretty easy on the eyes, so I guess I can't say no. And I'm like, Stan, people people don't talk like that, Stan. And and if they do, I, I worry, like, like if I were a professor and some some woman walks up to me and says your lecture turned me on, so I want to travel with you to Africa, I'm, I'll be like, lady, look, this is has the makings of some stalker story. I have seen the movie. I don't want to live it. Back off. Like I, it's just the weirdest thing. And then by the time we reach the end of the story, she makes this about face. Oh look, what a mighty man! I can't believe I would have betrayed him. <laughs> and. And then, in typical Stan Lee fashion, she's like unceremoniously killed off just as soon as she has a change of heart. I'm like, that character is the perfect encapsulation of Stan Lee writing women. It's just, it's not a pretty picture. Also, special shout out to Crack Krogor. <laughs> I just I just want to roll with that name for a moment. Crag, double G, Krogor. I don't know where they got this name from, but it stands as one of my all-time favorite names as being the absolute perfect comic book name. It's a it's alliterative, which is you know Stan's calling card. But Crag Krogor sounds like the most made-up name in the history of made-up names. Crag Krogor, let that just roll off your tongue, Chris. Crag Krogor, <laughs> you just you can't make this stuff up. It man. sounds it sounds like a bunch of rocks, like. Falling down a hill, Craig Krogor. <laughs> Any um, anything else about Green Lantern that kind of caught your attention? I'm, uh, I mean, like you nailed it. There's also ones where he says, "Well, you're not unattractive." Um, and then I'm looking at her death scene right now, and she barely grunts out, "You were the best thing." ever happened to me i'm so sorry and then dies and he says with all my power i couldn't save her like what in the world i i would like to know how he was the best thing that ever happened to her when she she set in a set in a lecture followed him to africa under false pretenses then planned to kill him caught him in an alley transforming and that that's the end of their relationship that's just this is deep stuff, Chris. It's it's high who, art. Who would have known that archaeology and anthropology were such an aphrodisiac? Yeah, on the flip side, though, can we maybe like uh, do a, a quick call out here to the art? I would say that Dave Gibbons' art on this is actually really, really solid. 
Um, and I would say, as, as many other issues of Just Imagine, it's probably one of the saving graces of this whole endeavor. The art was very nice. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, I think so, too. All right, so that's uh, our discussion of Green Lantern and its police okay. propaganda backup. One thing, listen, one thing, I want to leave you with this. The young kid standing in line with his Jinko jeans, very 90s, uh, he says, you're a cop. Think we have a chance? Son, the world might have a chance now, unlike the dinosaurs. And that's how it ends. You know what? I'm going to start saying that to students. I say the world might have a chance, unlike the dinosaurs. <laughs> J- just might. Just might. But I have to grow a ponytail before I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> All right, let's dig into one that I also found extremely interesting and I think had at least uh, maybe a few more redeeming qualities than Green Lantern. Um, And that is, of course, The Flash. Chris, uh, why don't you go ahead and dive into The Flash for me? I want to hear what you have to say about this one. I'm just going to keep I'm going to keep quiet for a moment here. Uh, So we've got a lot more women that Stan Lee is writing here. We have including um, a very sensual central female villain um that is about as subtle as a gun as as i like to say from uh ryan reynolds but yeah so lady zakara and her big muscly zorgol um are trying to tackle time travel um but it keeps you know burning alive all of her henchmen and you know her solution is to kill them when they don't succeed and then then we're introduced to Mary Maxwell, who wants to be a superhero, if only her life could be exciting by being a superhero, because that's not foreshadowing or, or tipping, you know, anything off. Um, she's being followed around by the shadowy, organiza- shadowy organization of Lady Sakara. Uh, and then we have um, a very, very not so subtle uh, Beauty and the Beast reference with her dad working in the basement, being a tinkerer. And then she's just like, oh, dad, oh, my ho-hum life. And then the he it turns out to be the seeker and they they're on the run forever. Um, and they just he's got like this knockoff DeLorean with the blasters in the back that goes super turbo speed. Damien Dark or Dominic Dark or josephine dark or whoever i I can't keep up anymore um they're on the run to australia and then um something happens or like she's about oh she goes in this green water and she's about to die like drains her life force and then she's super slow they there's a there's a very like explicit like he's drugging her up with energy booster golds and power drinks and all this stuff trying to fix it. And then he says, you know what? Look at that hummingbird. Let's extract hummingbird DNA. And I'm just going to inject this into my child. And then she gets super speed. But as he's injecting her, he's trying to do just a little, just the tip. And, um, he's shot and pushes it all in her arm, a full syringe of hummingbird DNA. And she gets super speed. Uh, and then, you know, Lady Zakara comes back and melts some people. Um, and then her, her dying father. Oh, man. It's dad. Please don't go. And then when he's dead, she just says, gone. <laughs> 
And then uh, we go back to Lady Zakara, and they finally figure it out. They try to warn her. She doesn't listen. Uh, Flash tries to do her little training montage, very, very 80s-esque with the, the headband. Uh, very, very rocky. Um, I, I'm, I'm, one of the strangest things is her hairstyle throughout this. It looks like a, a wet mop um, just lays upon her scalp. Um, and then Lady Zakara finally figures this out, and then she seduces her big, muscly armed henchman, only to blow him up, but he doesn't die. It's there's so much here. And then, she, oh, Flash gets her own costume, um, which is like he got a motorcycle helmet, which I liked. I like the idea of a motorcycle helmet, um, but then it's just a very monotoned white power suit. But there's streamers, Dave. Um, streamers, so man, streamers. We go, we go full Rainbow Dash from My Little Pony with this. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so if all you have to do as a villain is just grab a hold of one of these 18 foot long streamers that are coming from her head, and you know, as fast as she can run, if you've got a hold of that, either you're going for a ride or she's going down. Um, you know, Lady Andrea or was Zakara Andrea Zakara? Yeah, they come back to. Uh, her house and then she whoops up on them she flicks bullets at them and then um the big muscly arm guy is back and then he tried to kill me and she's like nah boo i didn't try to kill you i love you and then he completely goes for it because she's hot apparently um and then she's walking oh flash is walking around this abandoned lot and then it just opens up and sucks her in and then she's trapped in there she eventually gets out and then she's decked out in her rainbow dash costume uh, and then takes them out. And then um, Lady Zakara like doesn't listen to all their warnings that she's been saying all this time. Um, but then she like just grows really old and crippled and passes out dead. Um, and then there's more stuff with uh, Damien Dark or whatever this dude's name is. But yeah, it's a wild ride. But uh, far and away, probably one of the worst costumes I've ever seen. You know, I will echo that the costume was just a really, really bad miscalculation. Um, I, I would say it's probably one of the more enjoyable Just Imagine issues, even with some of the uh, the, the, the weird stuff that occurs in it. Like, hey, I'm just going to give, you know, my daughter some random hummingbird DNA. <laughs> what, a we- what a weird place to get your superpowers from. Hummingbird DNA. Um, although it does. It's original. You know, I'll give it that. Oh, you know, you know, at, at, so far as in Stan Lee likes A, science, and B, you know, animals. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, too, that it actually addresses a nice uh, homage, is, I guess, more like a, a nice part of, like, early Flash stories, which is always that his metabolism is so fast that he constantly has to eat to keep up his energy, you know? And so the hummingbird thing kind of indicates that as well. You know, her powers run out. She has to... She has to rest and recharge. I think that that's that's kind of a, a nice touch. Uh, by the way, award for the second most comic book name ever, Stealth, which stands, of course, for Special Team of Espionage Agents Licensed to Target and Hit. 
<laughs> to target and hit. I was okay to until target I heard and hit. Target and hit. <laughs> this is the kind of stuff where you know you could tell that people were tying themselves in knots, trying to come up with some kind of words that could make up this particular acronym. Um, yeah, so that that one was pretty wild. Uh, again, a character, <laughs> the uh, alliteration once again. You know, we have Mary Maxwell this time whose personality at the beginning I find rather grating. I don't think uh, Stanley's attempts at uh, writing uh, hip young dialogue worked very well. But somehow as the story progressed, I found her less and less annoying and more and more interesting. I do wish, though, just like you said, that she had been saddled with a little bit of a better suit. The outfit is very bland, and the streamers don't make up for that. I mean, taste a rainbow, whatever. Looks like um, she. It looks like she went to TCBY, got plain vanilla yogurt, and then just put rainbow sprinkles on the top. That, that you know what? That is actually fair. I also have to give a shout out to my man Zorgul here, who had a mountain dropped on him at some point and still survived. Um, not not a, not a very subtle not a very subtle stand-in for Zangief from Street Fighter. That's exactly what I thought of. Yeah, you know that's that's fair too. But how did this guy survive having a mountain dropped on him? Like <laughs> I know he's like big and strong, but at no point did they indicate he had superpowers or something. Rhinoceros so, DNA. Uh, perhaps you know <laughs> so, somebody got shot while they were injecting him, and the plunger went in too deep. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it happens all the time. Um, but yeah, you know, I find this as a as a sort of um, character origin story probably the least offensive of some of the stuff I have read in this series so far. Um, I don't think this version of The Flash is as... Uh, has, has climbed to the same heights as something like Stanley's Wonder Woman, which is probably my most enjoyable one out of this batch so far. Um, but I, th- I think this was still fairly enjoyable. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it it was it was the most fun read of the three for sure. And then there's you know the the Kevin McGuire art, and uh, and you cannot ever really say something bad about Kevin McGuire art. I mean, it worked very very nicely here. I felt. Yeah, for sure. All right, that brings us to the final issue in this triumvirate of Stan Lee issues, and we're at the point now where we get to finally uh, form. A JLA because we have our Superman, our Batman, our Wonder Woman, our Flash, and our Green Lantern. And so that's, of course, where we go next with Just Imagine Stanley creating the JLA. Chris, what were your thoughts on this particular issue? Uh, well, the art was awesome. Jerry Ordway, I mean, you can't go wrong. So I, th- I think that's like a common thread that we've got here uh, is that the art is fantastic. And then, you know, as far as plot and whatever, it's it's hit or miss. But I loved, loved, loved the art here. Um, but it was it was a wild ride. You have these three death row inmates that are saved by Dominic Dark. I'm gonna I'll get the first name right one of these times. But yeah. Um and then this these insurmountable, you know, adversaries, and then that requires them to all come together thanks to the Green Lantern and his really strange power of telecasting himself different places um and then one of the biggest takeaways that i got from rereading this is i forgot how much i disliked the character of superman and particularly lois lane in this in this universe um also that 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 uh, cowl from batman is truly nightmare fuel um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah so it was it was a wild read um 
Uh, happy to see Yggdrasil again here, but like that was a wild thing. I was extremely disappointed by how underused Wonder Woman was as far and away the, the breakaway star of the all six of these stories for me, Wonder Woman, I think we're in agreement on that. And then how oh, underutilized yeah. how underutilized she was in the story was probably my biggest disappointment. I can agree with that. Yeah, so 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 this one was weird for all the different DC references this sucker threw against the wall. So the group of bad guys, um, these these death uh, death row convicts, uh, they happen to be. Um, they happen to be the Doom Patrol, which is, of course, a a dysfunctional superhero team in actual DC continuity. You have this gray-haired kid running around called Adam Strange, which is, of course, also a superhero in DC continuity. With his you glittery get more... eyes. That was weird. <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating because you, you get you get some of the best sentences out of out of this series. Like you could say something like Green Lantern saves Adam Strange from the Doom Patrol. And you say the sentence to any longtime DC fan and they're like, do what? <laughs> what did I just miss? Who who saved whom? Why? Why was the Doom Patrol trying to kill Adam Strange? It's absolutely fascinating. And I didn't expect that they were actually gonna make it like um Green Lantern's main characteristic that he's constantly hitting on students but here he does it yet again <laughs> like that's literally the literally the initial incident of the story is green lantern is busy you know uh hitting on a student and then like this this white-haired kid runs by and he's like oh i, I better go save him and not hit on my students how about you don't hit on your students at all <laughs> like that would be the starting point i too was very disappointed by how little wonder woman was actually used in the story um, and I too was not very happy with, uh, you know, Superman. I, I don't think that that whole concept has gotten any better. Um, he, he almost feels like a more mean spirited version of a character like Booster Gold, you know, very much mm -hmm. all about himself, glory hound and Lois Lane comes across so badly yet again, oh God, like so no, no heart, no spirit, just, you know, cold, hard cash. I think I think I think for Superman, I, I think the, the most disappointing thing it just doesn't make sense. He learned nothing with the events that took place on his home planet. Like you would think that that was, you know, like and that, and that was an effective, I think, setup in the Superman issue. But then to to learn absolutely nothing from that and then to continue just being such a big douche was like, it's just not believable. Yeah, it's, it's it's pretty regrettable, all things considered. Yeah, this this whole like um, parasite taking control of Superman's body, um, like I I didn't feel like it was necessarily um, a worse turn for him. Like he his personality didn't exactly. <laughs> That's why nobody get worse. picked up on it. And be like, oh, it's just Superman. <laughs> yeah, he's just a jerk. What can you say? Um, but here again, another character, purple, by the way, as well in DC Comics, uh, the Parasite, a uh, Superman villain that sucks your powers out of you and then can duplicate your powers. Um, so it's filled of this. This issue was just filled with very, very interesting DC references. But that the thing is that they meant nothing. I guess is the best way to put it. Like, you know, just calling a bunch of bad guys to Doom Patrol is cute on the surface, but it doesn't actually play with the concept of, you know, the Doom Patrol as, 
you know, portrayed in DC proper and turn it on its head or reinvent it or anything. It's just using the name. And I think that may have been the biggest sin for me in this issue is that some of the things that they were tossing out um, weren't really reinventions or, or different takes on something. They were just sort of using, you know, the names um, rather than doing anything substantially with it. I, th- I think that's pretty sad, Chris. I think one of the most disappointing things too for me was um, one of the precious few characters of color in in this entire you know, universe. You have a black woman who whose claim to fame is murdering husbands. Like number one, how many how many husbands does it take for for guys to start wising up? They're like, oh, the last three she killed, and then there's this moment where she's like come to whatever and like it's hinted at like uh abuse in her past and all this stuff and then it's literally just one panel and then they kill her off so like it was is it was truly troubling yeah that also brings us then to the point where the two characters of color that we've really uh encountered so far both have been in prison both her and uh and this version of batman yeah that's an uh, unfortunate choice. Can I just throw out something really weird that I noticed about this particular issue? You know, I know Green Lantern was doing a lot of like explaining, communicating, and he's the guy who's bringing them all together, blah, blah, blah. But is there any particular reason that everybody keeps feeling up his chest? I, I'm looking at that panel right now. <laughs> like, 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 okay, so you have Adam Strange feels him up, then, you know, the various heroes feel him up, Superman feels him up. Like, like that guy's chest is going, getting around, I have to say. <laughs> It's just a weird visual, I guess is the best way to put it. I guess I, I, I guess it's um it's easy to see which DC character Stan likes the most because Green Lantern is the vehicle through which he tells so much of this. Yeah, yeah, the 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 guy who is womanizing and hits on his students is definitely his favorite. Huh. You know, also interesting, they end up like their headquarters are basically with the tree yeah like they don't get a hall of justice or a watchtower satellite they get to hang out are they going to build a tree of a tree they're going to build a tree house house. they're going to build a tree house next issue i love it yes the justice league tree house i'm all about it by the way i didn't quite catch this did they ever refer to themselves as the justice league of america anywhere in the pages or was it just on the cover where they referred to as jail no it's here in the last panel and then um it says, here's to the Justice League of America. Why only America? Why not Earth? There are certain tax advantages. Can't argue with that. Do we get fringe benefits like vacation pay? And then it cuts off. Oh, man, that, that flew right past me. But you know what stands as my absolute favorite panel in this whole book? It's it's when, um, when Batman starts slapping around Green Lantern after he's, like, possessed or something. And he's, yeah. like, yelling blasted woman i'll find a way to get you out of there and he's just like <laughs> he's not even like karate chopping or punching he just starts slapping him around it's just <laughs> such a good panel so i think the most redeeming thing about this by far to me at least was was the jerry ordway art which is absolutely gorgeous from top to bottom it just looks really good and it's really in, in some shots the best these characters even have looked so far like he, he delivered a home run here yeah for sure so, uh, final verdict, Chris, of these three issues of uh, Stan Lee creating the DC universe. You know, we've chronicled it quite a bit of, you know, comic book creators kind of losing their fastball. 
And this is like the epitome of that, I think. You know, we we talk about, you know, certain creators who are in their 40s and 50s kind of losing it. And at this time, Stan was probably in his 70s, you know. Um, so, yeah, this is this is not great. Um, it was it was, you know, good fodder to to laugh at and stuff. And there are some, you know, redeemable parts and and some certain like telltale Stanley isms. But yeah, this was aside from, you know, giggling about a lot of it. This was not like, oh, my gosh, you know, you got to read this. Yeah. And it's interesting because on a conceptual level, at least, I think there are some concepts here um, that that could have worked with, you know, a, a bit better execution. But uh, yeah, overall, this is this continues to be a very, very strange uh, exercise. Although I will go fully to bat for this version of Wonder Woman. There's just something about yeah. that character that clicks, Absolutely. that works, and I would I would love to see more. That's definitely she's definitely the diamond in the rough. Yeah, absolutely. All right, ladies and gentle people, that is it for this week's Big Talk. What do you think of Stan Lee's Green Lantern, Flash, and JLA? Find us on social media and tell us all about it. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NerdByWord and uh, individually at that nerd Chris and at that nerd Dave. We'd love to hear from you. After this next break, we'll be back with our patented nerd commendation. So stick around. <laughs> All right, we're back, and it's time for the best segment. We save it for last for a reason, ladies and gentlemen. It's time for... That's right. And Chris, I am very interested to see your nerd commendation, because I have, I think, pretty similar feelings about this series. Listen, man, um, we have talked about this a couple of weeks ago very briefly but at the time there were only like two issues out but this just keeps getting better and better and i'm talking about the current run on amazing spider-man and we certainly documented our feelings on the nick spencer era of the title but what they're doing right now with this you know it's very similar to what they did with the brand new day era we have this rotating roster of writers so we're talking you know zeb wells jed mckay kelly thompson uh, Cody Ziegler and Saladin Ahmed. Um, it, it, I could not be more. I could not be happier with what's going on with these issues. So, um, just a brief recap. You know, Peter Parker has, you know, been hospitalized in a coma due to uh, an encounter with the UFOs in which he was poisoned. And um, even before that, though, Ben Riley, uh, one of the fan favorites has taken over the mantle because he has the backing of the Beyond Corporation. And um, if you've done some reading of uh, Marvel comics in the, the mid-aughts, you know about the Beyond Corporation um, as being this shadowy organization. Not a full rocks on, but definitely a sketchy organization. Um, and if you're, listen, there's so much to love about this series. It, it really, the writing is top notch. It features some of my absolute favorite characters that don't get enough uh, love in, in the pages of Marvel comics. I mean, for Pete's sake, Dave, we've got the daughters of the dragon daughters of the dragon. I'm there. I'll shut up and take my money. So Misty Knight and Colleen wing are training Ben to be a better Spider-Man because they're hired by the corporation as well. And then, 
one of the most criminally underrepresented characters in all of comics. She's in the MCU and still doesn't feature heavily in her own book. And that's, that's criminal. Monica Rambo is here uh, in the issues of amazing Spider-Man particular for me. I absolutely adored the issues written by Kelly Thompson. I believe that was 77 and 78, but even, you know, this was one of the most groan inducing things of the Spencer area is these additional issues. We have a, the one that just came out this past week, 78.bey. But that was um, kind of like a, a little side issue adventure written by Jed McKay, um, where we got a close look at the Daughters of the Dragon um, specifically. So not not as much a Spider-Man story, but but a Colleen and Misty story. And this, I, I come back every week that upon release and it's the first thing that i devour each week you know first thing in the morning as soon as i wake up on wednesday i'm reading the new issues of asm and you can't think of a better endorsement for that it's so fun the dialogue is whippy and snappy it feels like quintessential spider-man again and i absolutely love um asm right now yeah you know what i'll wholeheartedly second this nerd commendation it feels in a lot of ways um, like a breath of fresh air after the protracted sort of um, uh, Nick Spencer run with the central overarching mystery and all that. There is something, and not that there isn't some kind of mystery here too. I think we're all very clear that there's something fishy going on with the Beyond Corporation here. But at the same time, uh, there is a, I don't know, there's a whole different vibe to this. It doesn't really hurt that I've always been a big Ben Riley fan going all the way back to the Clone Saga. I just like that take on the character. And I think he always was a great missed opportunity. At a time when everybody felt, I think, at Marvel that there could only be one true Spider-Man, I, I always was the fan who said, why not both? You know, why can't we have Peter and Ben? And of course, now we have a very different world and that we have a whole bunch of different spider people. You know, we have our spider woman, we have our Miles Morales, we have our spider Gwen, we have all these various characters now. Um, so yeah, you know, I, why not Ben Riley? You know, why can't we do more with that character? Why can't we keep him around? And why can't we spin him off? I always felt like the Ben Riley character was the perfect way to do things to Peter Parker that you don't want to do to Peter Parker. You know, you can do things with this character without worrying too much about long-term ramifications to what it does to, you know, Spider-Man and Peter Parker, because, well, it's not Peter Parker, although in many ways he is Peter Parker and shares a lot of his, you know, character traits. So I'm actually just thrilled that Ben Riley's back in the mix. I, I like the new Spider-Man suit he's wearing. You know, I, I like where things are going in the story. There's enough background mystery to keep me interested. But more importantly, the, the foreground story is absolutely fascinating as well. You know, the stuff that was going on with, with Morbius, for example. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very much wondering what in the world is going on with Morbius right now because his behavior has been so so weird. So um, even seeing where that is going, I'm just very excited for it. I think I think we are cruising for a, a very, very interesting run on Amazing Spider-Man. And my hope is that when we come out of the other end of this, that we that there will still be a Ben Riley character standing that we can enjoy moving into the future. And I think probably my biggest takeaway that I neglected to mention earlier is the voice of Ben Riley fits. 
And so much of the, the the recent iterations of the character felt so off, you know, between Dan Slott's bringing him in as the jackal or the man in red, and then the Peter David title didn't feel like him. This feels perfect. And his, particularly his relationship with um, his girlfriend, Janine, has been a wonderful, wonderful thing to watch. And just those little slice of life moments are particularly poignant for me. I agree. This is the most Ben Riley that Ben Riley has felt since probably the nineties. And I'm, and I'm glad that this group of writers has, you know, put in the work to actually characterize him properly, which is to say in a lot of ways, he's just, he's Peter Parker adjacent. He's very similar to Peter. He's his clone after all. He has a lot of the same memories. And so you, you do have to give him a healthy dose of Peter Parkerness while still taking him into his own uh, sort of direction and and i think so far they've they've kind of nailed that yeah definitely that lovable goof that uh, uh, you know it's pitch perfect all right dave your nerd commendation you unconsciously kind of uh hinted at it earlier yeah it was completely unintentional but you know let's go ahead and talk about gargoyles clan building i have made no secret out of the fact that uh, the gargoyles animated series is one of my all-time favorite animated series there must have been something in the water when uh when uh greg weissman was a child because the man has had his fingers in some of the all-time best uh, animated series in my book. I mean, he was involved with season one of Star Wars Rebels. He, you know, is involved with Young Justice. He was involved on the Spectacular Spider-Man. And I will say it, come at me, bro, Spectacular Spider-Man, those two seasons, still the best animated version of Spider-Man, period, in my book. Um, and of course, then there's Gargoyles, which he developed at uh, at Disney. And uh, Gargoyles, of course, uh, holds a special place in my heart. Uh, I fell in love with this as a child, and I still like to frequently revisit it. Um, the story of a ancient Scottish group of gargoyles that turn to stone during the day but come alive at night and are transposed to modern-day New York is, you know, enduring. And the frequent Shakespeare references and even Shakespeare characters that pop up in it give it sort of a almost literary feel. There's a lot of really special stuff that happened in this series. Now, um, little, little known fact, except among those who are true diehard fans of the series, is that the third season of the show, subtitled The Goliath Chronicles, actually saw most of the writers of the first two seasons, including uh, creator Craig Weissman, uh, step aside. Um, and because of that, this third season is not, uh, very well received among fans. So lo and behold, before, uh, before Disney bought, bought Marvel. So we're talking a few years ago, um, Greg Weissman actually did some work at, uh, SLG slave labor graphics, a comic book publisher, uh, who had the license to do, uh, gargoyles comics and he wrote uh, basically i want to say it's uh, 12 issues um, and then the series had to come to an end because um, disney bought marvel and you know kind of started withdrawing all of its comic book licenses back so um, they could publish those quote-unquote in-house which is ultimately of course also why star wars ended up leaving dark horse but these 12 issues basically stand as uh, uh, Greg Weissman's actual um, season three of Gargoyles. It sort of ignores the third season, Goliath Chronicles, and, and tells its own story uh, instead. 
and it is it is absolutely spot on uh it immediately feels like the the cartoon is back um all the characterization is spot on we don't get this weird out of character moments um everything is moving forward in a very interesting direction um I just absolutely love this little series, even though it is uh, not very well known among comic book readers. So uh, I just want to nerd commend uh, this series to anybody who enjoyed uh, the Gargoyles cartoon as a child or has since discovered it on Disney Plus to kind of see the original vision of what could have been uh, a season three. The book was published in uh, two trade paperbacks. Uh, clan building volume one and volume two, which uh, may be uh, something that you'll probably have to find on the secondhand market, considering that, you know, Disney isn't really doing, you know, licenses with uh, other comic book publishers anymore. But if you can get a hold of these, I, I they're highly recommended. They, uh, they kind of wash the taste away some very questionable decisions that were made in Gargoyle Season 3. And it's, it's a wonderful way of revisiting some of my all-time favorite characters. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check this one out. It was one of the seminal programs, you know, of my childhood. And, you know... I, 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 it's I can remember going to Target and Walmart and searching for all of the different action figures, and um, I absolutely love it. And I'm enjoying rewatching it when I get a chance on Disney Plus. So this is definitely on my to do list. My God, I don't even know if we had action figures in Germany when I was growing up. I just know that I was like taping every every episode yeah. on VHS so I could watch it like forty times. That that was about all I had a hold of back then. Yeah, it's just an absolute fantastic series, Chris. All right, ladies and gentle nerds, that's it for another episode of the Nerd Byword Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this week for episode 78 of the podcast. 22 more until episode 100. If you uh, enjoy what you just heard, please make sure that you jump uh, onto your favorite podcasting platform. Give us a rating, give us a review, and subscribe so you never miss another episode. You can find the Nerd Byword podcast wherever podcasts are available um, Apple Podcasts, uh, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, we are there, including our snazzy own website, nerdbyword.com. And if you want to interact with us on social media, be sure to follow Nerd by Word on Twitter and Instagram or individually at That Nerd Dave and That Nerd Chris, respectively. And as always, stay well and stay nerdy. The Nerd by Word is written and produced by Chris and Dave, two nerds with a love of all things pop culture. The podcast features music by Al Jimenez with additional drops composed by Joe Biondi. Our show art is by Ashery Design. Find us at nerdbyword.com and wherever podcasts are available. Mm-hmm.